You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Mark's gospel is so amazing because it's written to an audience that just wants the facts. You know, he's just giving the, the skeleton of the gospel. He's getting to the cross as fast as he can, but he's not leaving anything out about who Jesus is. And last week when we saw the, 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 the paralyzed man that had the four friends that he came in through the roof and, and we looked at that and, and then some of the religious leaders and what was going on in their hearts, believing that when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, that they perceived that he was blaspheming. And yet Jesus, he knew what they were thinking. Jesus knew it in his heart. He knew what they were thinking. And then he asked them why. And so amazing, amazing passage. One of the things that it brings up is the correlation between healing and, and salvation, healing and forgiveness. And when you're dealing with healing, it's such a huge, broad subject that when you talk about it and you're talking about this one aspect of healing, you can't necessarily take that and run that all the way across the spectrum. And so here Jesus is seeing as this man is being brought down, he says, your sins are forgiven you. And it's like, now that's a strange way. I Usually when I pray for people for healing and they say, you know, my right foot is messed up, <laughs> broken, we pray for the right foot. I don't start and, and, and put my hands on their foot and say, your sins are forgiven. I don't know how they would respond to that. But it's interesting that there is no record of how the man that was being let down, how he responded to Jesus. But then it became an occasion to deal with the religious ethic of the day of believing you can't heal someone until their sins are forgiven. Until they become righteous, they do not deserve to be healed. They have to become righteous first. And then once they're righteous, then maybe we can pray for their healing. And uh, Jesus kind of blew that one. He just said, uh, which is easier? And so he speaks so that you may know. It's not so that the man that's paralyzed, it's not so that the four friends may know, but it's so that the religious rulers, <laughs> the religious leaders, and their, their dogma, their, their doctrine, that Jesus can't be contained within because he's bigger than that. He says, I say to you, pick up your mat, rise, walk, go home. And he does, and he takes off. And it's like, everybody's amazed. Everybody's amazed. And that's one of the things about healing that I love. You know, when I, when I look at healing in my own life, I, I was not around a, a, an expression in the body of Christ where healings were that common. Matter of fact, if somebody got healed, it was like, what? And it was like, oh, that's amazing. And so, 
it was all about salvation, doing evangelism, coming to Christ, getting involved in discipleship programs, growing. I've gone through one-on-one -on -one discipleship, two-seven discipleship. I've, I've gone through so many dis different discipleship tracks that I should be the disciple of all disciples. <laughs> but the reality is you can have all the discipleship classes you want and still not have a growing relationship with him. You can be developing your head and your doctrinal knowledge and fill it with all the truth and principles and still be unaffected in your heart. That's why when I was in, in school and Dr. Uh, Siemens, David A. Siemens wrote the book, Healing for Damaged Emotions, it just blew me away. I just thought that is like, I've never heard anybody in the body of Christ talk the way Dr. Uh, Siemens talked. And, I, and when I read his book, I thought, oh, and he was talking about, you know, how is it that you can have your PhD in biblical literature and be teaching at a, at a seminary or a Christian college and run off with another woman other than your wife and go another way. And I just thought, that scared me. You know, I was, I was developing all this stuff so that I wouldn't be a victim. I, I wouldn't be a failure. I wouldn't bring a tarnished embarrassment to the name of Jesus. And I thought that the more I knew, the holier I'd be, the more temptation couldn't tempt me. And so I would train myself. I would train myself. Be careful of Barbie when she walks through the church. If Barbie came through the church, it was like, <sighs> it made me nervous. It was like, oh. Do you know, there's so much that we try to bring exterior barriers. We try to set up fences that's going to keep us holy and safe and protected. And not saying that there's not good wisdom and ground rules that need to be there, but the enemy knows how to get around every fence. He knows how to slide through the walls. He knows how to do that stuff. But what he can't do is he can't mess with your heart. <clears throat> and when you have that connection with Jesus and you're growing day by day in relationship with him, the best protection that you'll ever have is not focusing on not sinning, but focusing on how can I get closer to the Lord today? Yes. This hour, how can I connect with him in a way in which I know the reality of his love, his truth, his goodness, and that I'm his bride, I'm the father's son, I'm the father's daughter, <laughs> I'm the Holy Spirit's dwelling place. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. And as we start moving that way, I, I find all the anxious moments that I, that I was really trying to make sure I did not sin, my focus was still on sin. And as long as you are focusing on not doing something, odds are you're probably gonna do it. You might be able to white knuckle it through a day or two, but it's just a matter of time before they... The best way not to sin 
is to just be more in love with the Lord moment by moment. I always thought, isn't this interesting? One of the things that we do in discipleship was as we talk about the presence of the Lord and, you know, where the Lord's presence. Has anybody ever really just done a, a 180 right in the presence of the Lord and said, I choose to sin? It's kind of hard to do in the presence of the Lord, isn't it? I don't know if anybody has ever done that myself, because when you're in the presence of the Lord, the temptation loses its pull and its attraction. And so it's not like anything that, that you're really drawn to because in his presence, you're drawn to him. From glory to glory with an ever-increasing glory. There's a, there's a desire that when you experience him, you want more of him. I was reading a, a book and it's talking about the 10, 10 different levels of glory. Haven't got all the way through it, but he uses an analogy that I thought was really cute. He said, you know, when I got my first car, you know, it was like it was the best car in the whole world. It was like, this car is amazing. And so I started thinking about mine. My first car was a 1966 Volkswagen Bug and uh, four speed on the floor and didn't have a radio. I just thought, man, I was the coolest thing. It was wonderful. No power anything, crank windows, all that kind of stuff. And then from that, I went to a 67 Caprice Chevy that had all the bells and whistles. And I thought, whoa, this is really amazing. This has got air conditioning. This is, you know, the tires are round. You know, it, was, it, was, it was one of those things that like you just, you, it had a rear fan window defogger. And I didn't know any cars back then that had a rear window defogger. And I just thought, man, I have really moved up. And then you go on through your, through your life. November 11th of last year, the Lord blessed me with the deal of the century. And Chuck Kennedy helped me navigate through that deal. <laughs> and I got my, my Buick Envision. A 2017 only had 13,800 miles on it, and it was just amazing. And I still pinch myself every day, and I just say, I can't believe I'm driving this car. This car is so nice. This is, it's got heated seats. Oh my stars, I can get my cell phone hooked up to it and I can play the songs I want to if I don't want to listen to the radio. I can listen to audiobooks. I can do that. It tells me where I'm at and what I'm doing and it's got all sorts of things. I just thought this, this is, I've arrived. You know, that's kind of the way it is with the glory of the Lord. When we encounter something, it's, it's almost like when we encounter salvation and we discover forgiveness of sins, it's like, this is so good. You know, I'm not going to hell. Hallelujah. You know, I've been forgiven. I feel clean. It's like this, it doesn't get any better than this until it does. And then all of a sudden you discover another aspect of your relationship with Jesus. And it's like going from a Volkswagen to a Caprice. And, and then you discover the next one. It's like going from a Caprice to a Buick. And who knows what else is next? You know, I can't wait for my Lamborghini experience in the spirit. 
you know, of what's going what's gonna to happen there. But it's, it's that real. It's like whatever you're experiencing in the Lord, don't think that you've landed. You've just begun. And it's going to take you to the next level. And it's going to continue to increase your whole life. Not only your whole life here, but I believe in heaven. I think we're going to continue to go from glory to glory to glory. Even when we see him and we'll be like him, there's still going to be such infinite uh, expressions of himself that we haven't even understood that will continue to have revealed to us and will grow forever and ever. So I'm looking forward to it today. I thank him for my Buick, but I'm wondering what's next. What's the next manifestation of his glory? Now, I'm not, I'm using that as a metaphor just in case people think I'm saying my car is the glory of the Lord. <laughs> don't, don't misunderstand. This is an analogy. So, you know, make sure you follow that. But I'm wondering what's next. What's next? Well, let's get back on track. That's my introduction. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Mm. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive what the Spirit's saying to the church. So once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. Why is he beside the lake? Well, I like to pin it on the leper because he blabbed. And Jesus can't enter openly anywhere. So as you saw that his pattern was, he would first go into the synagogue and, and share on the Sabbath. And now he's, he's, he's out by the lake. We see that Paul adopts the same, the, the early apostles, they do the same thing. They first go to the synagogue, preach to the Jews, and then after uh, the Jews have heard, then they go to the Gentiles. And, and here we find once again, he can't go to the synagogue anymore. One, the religious leaders are after him. Two, they can't handle the crowd. But out by the, sea, out by the lake, that's where he goes. And there's a large crowd that came to him. See, all through Mark, they keep saying that even though he couldn't enter openly into a public place, the people from all around the region was going out to him. Wherever Jesus was, that's where the people would go. Do you know, Jesus has that ability to draw us to himself. Has, have you ever felt like you're drawn to the Lord and you didn't even know that you were being drawn to the Lord? Sometimes that happens when you end up in a church service and you didn't plan on going. You go to a meeting, you didn't, you know, it's a Christian meeting, but you didn't, 
and all of a sudden you realize there's something that is operating in the earth that's drawing all men to Christ. And so we go. And what did he do? He, he stays on mission. He began to teach them. What did he teach them? The times at hand? The kingdom's near? Repent and believe the good news. There is the proclamation of his teaching. And as he would teach and as he would preach, he would speak things that they never heard. Or if they heard it, they never heard it the way he put it. And as they did that, they found that their hearts, much like John Wesley, their hearts were strangely warm. Their hearts were burning, like the two on the Damascus road, or two on, on the road to uh, Emmaus. Emmaus, thank you. The Emmaus road. And weren't our hearts burning as he was speaking? Yeah. So there's the proclamation and then the demonstration. Here the text is silent. It doesn't say, and Jesus healed and cast out devils. But, you know, I don't think there was very many times that he taught or he preached that if there was a need, he didn't address it. He didn't minister to it. And then we go from that general statement that he's there by the lake and everybody's coming out and he's teaching and now as the text continues, he's walking along and he sees Levi. Hmm. Now we go from the general to the specific. He sees one person. He's been teaching to the multitude and now he sees one person. And who does he see? He sees the most hated person in the region. He sees the one that had the least amount of respect the one that was considered worse than a sinner, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. And Jesus looks at him, he sees him. Now, you know that I get kind of crazy about the word, and Jesus saw him. It's like he really saw him. It's not like I see Marcus and just go, because you, you can glance and you can see an individual, but you may not see them. When Jesus looks at you, he sees you and he sees Levi. And I just love it. And he says, you know, I'm going to get a group of guys. I'd like for you to prayerfully consider possibly joining us. You know, uh, do you get a day off from your tax collector's booth? We, we could make, you know, uh, Fridays, our, our ministry time, discipleship. No, he looks, he sees Levi and he says, follow me. That is the present imperative. It's a command. He looks at Levi and he doesn't say, I'd like to include you in my group. He just looks at him, the one that is despised among everybody in the region. And he says, follow me. Wow. And what happens? Levi got up. And you know, I'm getting kind of partial to this phrase in, in the Gospel of, uh, of Mark as well. You got to get up. We see it earlier in chapter 1. It says, And Jesus got up a great while before day and went out to a solitary place and prayed. 
And it's like, you got to get up. If you're going to follow Jesus, the first thing you got to do is you got to get up. A lot of us like to stay down and think about, count the costs, try to see, well, should I do? But when, when the Lord says, follow me, there's nothing to ruminate over. It's time to get up and follow. And so that's exactly what Levi does. He got up and he followed him. I just love that. Once again, we're just getting the cliff notes. From there, we jump right to Levi's house. I mean, he's following Jesus. And now Jesus is eating at his house. And Levi invites the only people he knows, the sinners and the tax collectors. That's all who comes to dinner. Jesus, Jesus' disciples, and the sinners and the tax collectors. And, and that's who's coming home for dinner. And it's like, wow. And while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. And if, if you're looking for repetition, look at the word many in the Gospel of Mark. Many. Many tax collectors, many sinners are, are gathering. Many people go to him out in the wilderness, the lonely places. We, we, we find that there's many. <laughs> and then it qualifies it and says, for there were many who followed him. Hmm. A motley crew that's following Jesus. When the teachers of the law who were the Pharisees, we don't want you to think they're scribes, they're the Pharisees. These aren't just the ones that entertain theological concepts. They're not the ivory tower professor. These are the practitioners that let you know you're not doing it right, and this is what you need to change. Don't you love those in the church? Somebody comes up, your hair's too short, your hair's too long. I haven't had anybody tell me my hair's too long in a long time, so. But, but back in the 70s, if you had long hair, your Christianity was not certain. Mm -hmm. So there they are, the Pharisees, the ones who are the enforcers, and they saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors. So they, they see, but they, Jesus sees a, a tax collector sinner and calls him to follow because he, he sees beyond who he thinks he is. He sees who he truly is. They see Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors and, and, and guilt by association, and they're saying, why? Now that's interesting. They don't come to Jesus and say, why do you eat with sinners and tax collectors? No, the evil one knows how to disrupt a situation. You don't go directly to the one that you have the issue with, you go to one of their friends, one of their followers. They go, I thought this was really interesting. They, they go to the disciples and say, why does he do this? Huh. And they know. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, 
but sinners. Mm. In an attempt to disrupt and to bring division and question and pl plant doubt, the enemy will oftentimes do that through someone else. And, and you just look at our, our current situation with everything that's going on and you hear something and, and you don't go to the person or you see something and you don't go make an inquiry. We call it the poison of perceptions. You can have a perception, you can see something. And the enemy is usually good at, for most of us to, to be at the right place at the wrong time and come and we see something that looks like, oh, so we have a perception, we make an assumption, we come to a conclusion and we render a judgment without ever finding out if our perception was accurate. If you have a perception and it's a, it's a kind of a, a, a situation that's not good, then you need to go from that perception and make an appeal. Did I see you, ba, 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 ba? Did you say, ba, ba, ba? You know, and and you, you make an appeal. One, nobody knows the heart of another person, so we don't know what's going on in their heart, and we humbly acknowledge that. But from my vantage point, from my frame of reference, it looks like that wasn't healthy for you. And so we, 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 make, we make an appeal. Did I see that right? If you saw it right, then you make an appeal. You, you come back and you make an appeal and say, I appeal to you to consider and then make your suggestion, whatever it is, whatever you think is gonna be healthy for them. But it could be that, that when, you, when you turn to them and you make an inquiry, as you go to them in, with an inquiry, you find out that wasn't what was going on there at all. No, they weren't doing that. Huh. That wasn't the purpose of it. And it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed, especially with husbands and wives, how the enemy will always get us sideways because we hear something and our perception is that there is a hidden agenda behind what was just said. And so we go down the left side, all the way down and render the judgment without finding out, did, did you really mean this? No, no, that's not what I meant. Watch out for, for those triggers. Make an inquiry, make an appeal, see if you can resolve the issue. So here's Jesus. He tells them, I've come not for the righteous, but for sinners. The healthy don't need a doctor, the sick need a doctor. The problem is, if you think you don't have a need, if you think that you don't need a doctor, if you think that your righteousness is adequate, we call that self-righteousness. Anybody ever deal with self-righteousness? Honey, do you know anybody that's ever dealt with self-righteousness? It's like, 
So a lot of times when I, when I see these guys, I just want to, you know, come on, Jesus, take care of the situation. And then I realize, oh, that's me. <laughs> that's, that's the self-righteous one. You know, I, I don't need, but, but those sinners need it. But I, oh, yes, I do. We all need him. And that's the good news today that I proclaim. Jesus draws all men to himself. Men and women, come to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you for the wonderful way in which you come and you minister to us your love and your life. I ask, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, that you would just release those portions of truth to each individual heart and do something wonderful for your name's sake. Bring the freedom, bring the wholeness, bring the health, bring the joy, bring the abundance of life into our hearts, into our bodies, into our minds, our spirit, our souls, into all our relationships. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will begin to see the way you see people. How many times have I looked right at Levi and not seen him? I give Holy Spirit, I give you permission to anoint my eyes so that I would see people the way Jesus sees people. Do it for the glory of the Lamb who is worthy in Jesus' name. Got your communion? We celebrate his goodness, his righteousness. He who had no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And that blows my brains every time I, I quote that scripture. Oh, so wonderful. So, Lord Jesus, we, we, we proclaim that your body is real food. And we need the nourishment that comes from knowing you and being in you, abiding in you, being united and in holy union with you. And so we take this and we eat and we say, Lord, nourish us, for you are the bread of life. We eat with thanksgiving. Your blood speaks a better word. Mm. It speaks the word of life, not death. It speaks the word of, of cleansing and righteousness. And for this, we celebrate you. Lord, we're unable to comprehend everything that the blood has done, is doing, and will do for us. But by faith, we receive it and we say, Holy Spirit, apply the blood to every part of our lives that need it. We drink in remembrance of you. As the worship team comes to lead us in our last song, I just want to encourage you in the hope of the gospel. 
the Lord ministers hope to us through the calling of Levi. I had a strong feeling uh, as I was preparing that there might be a, a supernatural dynamic of the Lord calling someone either in the room or online into following him. Possibly, I was thinking even vocationally. I remember when I was 14, I had a call from the Lord to go into the ministry, and I began preparing as, as a teenager for ministry. And uh, I want to encourage, if there's a sense as, as the song, the worship team sings this last song, be aware, Lord, what are you calling me to? He sees you, and he will speak to you Follow me. That may not be into a vocation, but it may be into how you live the next moment. Let's follow him. God bless. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.